0: The hot seat today. Morning. Fighting a cough, so if I choke in my cough drop, don't mind me. (coughs) Today we're going over Joshua two, the story about Rahab the prostitute. I told some people. Thank you. I seem to get the interesting topics, uh, widows and booze and now prostitutes. Says Harlot in several translations as well. She's listed with his title, Rahab, the prostitute. That's who she was. Seemingly an unlikely candidate for helping the Israelites take over Jericho and the land of Canaan. Jericho is located where present-day Palestine is. And these events go back roughly uh, 1,400 years before Christ. Rahab is the heroine of the story. The spies aren't named. Not even the king of Jericho is named. I'm thinking this was done to accentuate who Rahab is and her importance in this story. What she did, who she became, and ultimately who God is when we see his purpose for her life. The city she lives in, Jericho, has been morally bankrupt for hundreds of years at this point. It's a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. In Leviticus 18, God is telling Moses, he's given him a list of things not to do, things that the Egyptians had been doing and that the Canaanites are presently doing. I'll summarize it a bit. It's a graphic chapter, uh, He says, Don't have sex with your parents, your siblings, uncles, in laws, nieces, nephews, a mother and a daughter at the same time. No same sex relations. No sexual relationships with animals. Yeah. It's a very detailed list of perversion. And it's important that we know this because this is what is happening in Canaan, in Jericho. Verse 24, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punish its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. This is an important precursor to Joshua's task here, as it's justifying why God is sending him to put the Canaanites to death, to kick them out of their homeland, to take them by force. I was in Las Vegas last month, the, probably the worst place in our country. Um, for a business convention uh, called Shot Show, where firearm manufacturers get together and show off their products, the new stuff, kind of like a car show. I've been there a couple times before, but the perversion was more out in the open. It's in the streets now. On Fremont Street, maybe you've probably seen it on TV if you haven't been there, uh, there's a TV screen that's 90 feet wide and 1,000 feet long. It's pretty big. You know, guys want to go there just to see the TV screen, you know, out over top of the, the street. A prostitute was standing in the street holding a sign advertising what she was selling. And only a few feet away on the curb are two small children and her mom selling bracelets. I'm thinking, wow, what a terrible mom, but uh, what a terrible situation the whole thing was. Grandma's in their 70s handing out calling cards for prostitutes on the streets. I was imagining my own grandma. I couldn't believe it, you know. you think by 70 you know not to do this, but it's happening there. Nevada legalized marijuana, so the smell of it blowing through the crowd. I couldn't believe how bad it'd become, yet it's an ancient problem. Same things were happening in Jericho and Canaan 3,400 years ago. Joshua 2, if you want to follow along. I'm on the ESV version. Rahab hides the spies. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shatim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And when they came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there, and it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. We don't know how the king found out about the spies Um, but someone obviously turned in Rahab. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True. The men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So here are the two spies. They're now trapped inside the walls of Jericho. They're depending on a prostitute not to turn them in. They're laying under piles of flax. This would be kind of like hiding someone under your compost pile or in your septic tank today. Flax stalks are three or four feet long. They're used to make linen fibers for clothing. The stalks are processed by rotting them in water for several days to several weeks and it depends on how rotten the water is. If you're using stagnant pond water, it's quicker. If you're using fresh water, it takes a lot longer because it needs this bacteria to break it apart. The riper, the better. When the flax has bloated up and started to crack and fall apart, the outside sheath is scraped off, exposing the linen fibers. If guards were to come to the roof looking, they'd have a good reason not to dig in rotting flax. It's pretty putrid. So here are the two spies, possibly on their very first mission. Pretty cool spy, you know. Mission given to them by the leader of the Israelites, Joshua. But they're not finding romance like a James Bond film. But rather, they're being buried in wet, rotten grass, by a prostitute. What have we gotten ourselves into? I must have been thinking. Rahab believes so strongly that God is going to wipe out the Canaanites that she betrays her people. She commits treason. She has to believe this is the will of God and that her people are deserving of this fate. Why else didn't she turn in the spies when she had the chance? Even when they're under the the flax, they're in a pretty vulnerable position laying there on the roof, inside the gates. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to Shiloh and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord the <laughs> God, He is the God in the heavens, above and on earth beneath. So there's a sense shared amongst all the people in Canaan. They know that they're going to be invaded, they know how powerful the force is against them. I recently watched the testimony of an old woman who grew up in Austria. Uh, before World War II and during. I posted it on Facebook this morning if you want to check it out. It's definitely worth a watch. 1938, Austrians voted almost unanimously, 98%, to be under Hitler's rule. Germany was thriving, and Austria was in a horrible depression. People starving, very little work. They slowly began to realize what they'd done, who they were. Their handicaps started disappearing. Their schools were taken over by the state. Their children all became Hitler youth. They lost their free press. They were convinced to turn in anyone who spoke out against the state for fear of being killed themselves. Then their weapons were taken. The horror they must have felt when they realized, we're not the good guys. And now the greatest armies in the world were coming against them. I'm sure this is how Jericho is feeling. They know things are off. It's not quite right there. But they don't realize how bad they are until they're standing in judgment for it. verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Sounds like Rahab is in a time of repentance. She's turned from her sins. Now she's asking Israel to spare her life and her family. (laughs) Verse 14, And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours. And when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully to you. This is a promise Joshua is going to have to uphold, that God is going to uphold, which we'll find out was his plan all along. The importance of Rahab goes far beyond this story. We'll get to that in a bit. Verse 15, she then let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Archaeologists have unearthed evidence as to the size of the walls. Uh, Two walls, actually. The inner wall was 12 feet thick, and the outer was 6 feet thick. Over 40 feet tall at its highest. Years ago, I was in Puerto Rico, and I saw walls like this on a fort in San Juan. Huge walls. You think, man, there's nothing getting through this. It wasn't until invading armies came with ships that had cannons that they could even put a dent in it. At this time in Jericho, there's nothing like that. What can put a dent in the walls of Jericho? Verse 16. And she said to them, Go into the hills where the pursuers counter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours, that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father, and mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household." this scarlet rope, blood-red rope. The rope that's saving these Israelite spies will now be the symbol of our own salvation. Very similar to the call to obedience for the Passover, where the Spirit of the Lord passed over the homes with lamb's blood of course. And they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over, came, came. To Joshua the son of Nun and they told him all that had happened to them and they said to Joshua truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us Rahab has given Israelites confidence confidence that maybe they lacked before these aren't the same people who endured slavery in Egypt. Not the same people that watched God curse the Egyptians or part the Red Sea. Those people are dead. They're gone. What we're left with is a group of people who grew up in a desert. They've heard stories about how they came to be there. But is, it, is it the same? Canaan is an established society. It has armies, fighters, Giant walls. Walls that make the president blush, right? How many battles have these Israelites fought? How confident were they in themselves? Moses isn't there to hold up his staff and ensure victory, right? You have to rely on God now. Their fathers and grandfathers saw all the miracles in Egypt, ten deadly plagues, Their children spared the night of the Passover. Yet they still doubted God when they came to the Red Sea. Some of them wanted to turn back and go back to Egypt after seeing all these miracles. Rahab says, we know who you are. We know what God did for you. We in all the land of Canaan live in fear of you. I think this was a huge advantage to the Israelites. Now they know their enemy is weak, falling apart. It's affirming what God's been telling them all along. Before the first sword's drawn. I think this gives them the extra backbone they needed affirming their faith. It's true. Got me to wonder what I'd do if my country fell under attack, if it came under God's judgment. Could I stand by and do nothing? Could I make a deal with my enemy to forsake my countrymen, my friends, the people I've grown up with since I was born? Just watch them die. All my Facebook contacts just deleting them. Probably the least of my worries. But this is the USA. We're the good guys, right? We're supposed to be. 31 states now have some form of legalized marijuana. Our leaders, they demonize each other, forsake their people. Won't we'll get along. Now there are states that will murder a baby during natural labor, natural birth, as it's on its way out. The passing of this bill in New York I was watched on TV across the world. And the world watched as they saw Americans clapping. As it was passed. What's that say about America? At least in the eyes of others. It's so bad now that some consider it a victory if we can pass a law that says you can murder a baby if its heart hasn't started to beat yet. My wife and I lost four babies at that stage. And it sucked. It was no less significant than any other stage. Any other loss. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Some poll results show that of Americans think it's okay to live together outside of marriage. That's become the norm now. 42% think extramarital affairs are okay. 38% approve of pornography. 30% believe there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. Our country is turning into a people where broken families are now the norm where sexual immorality isn't considered sin. The leading cause of death in our youth might soon be drugs. They blame it on too much fentanyl in their heroin. Some states are considering establishing safe places to get high. It's easy to listen to a story about a people who lived 3,400 years ago and think how vile they were. Sometimes it's hard to look at ourselves and realize that we're the same way. That our nation could one day vomit us out. Like what's happening in Canaan and Jericho. This isn't the end of the story for Rahab. God doesn't just spare her life. While the spies aren't named, the king of Jericho wasn't even named in this story. The name of Rahab is, and it's repeated in Matthew chapter 1. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Solomon. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab is Boaz's mother. Boaz is the great-grandfather of the king, David. Not only was Rahab forgiven for her sins, and the lives of her family were spared, but she was given a husband, Solomon, and a child that led to the birth of Christ. Some 1,400 years later, making her one of Jesus' greatest grandmas. It's a pretty cool story. A lot of people think today Jesus' mother must have been perfect without sin, had to be to make a, a sinless God. I don't think they made all the connections in his bloodline. Only Christ was good. And the only time bad things ever happened to good people or a good person was when we didn't trust him, when we killed him on the cross. If I can start at a point where I ask God, why do good things happen to bad people? To me, I'll be closer to understanding God, maybe his purpose for me. I think of all the physically disabled people out there. The blind. I'm no better than the blind. I don't deserve to see. The paralyzed. I don't deserve to walk. I deserve this bad back. Sickness. Death. I deserve all the evils in this world. Because that's what I am. I'm not good. I'm not worthy of life. Yet God keeps giving it giving it to me abundantly. Without end. All I have to do is trust him and show his people that I'm not afraid to put this crimson rope in my window. I've been spared a great many hardships. And I have far more than I deserve. The challenge now is to give God what He deserves complete obedience, loyalty, a lot more than I have already. Let's pray. I'm a sinner. I deserve your wrath, the same judgment as the people of Jericho. Thank you for spreading my soul, for promising to keep me with you for eternity. Help us to see our city, our state, our nation, for what it really is in your eyes. teach us how to bring about change in a way that's honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen.